Hi, dreamers. Thank you for learning with us today on DreamSpeak. I'm Rika. And I'm Thomas. And this is the podcast about dreams that teaches you a complete system to help you listen to your dreams and get the guidance they're providing you every day. Our friend Leif shared an incredible dream in part one, hijacked by God. Now we get to the heart of the matter. This is part two of two, Dancing from Illusion to Liberation. Let's catch you up on what happened in part one. In Leif's dream, he was a G.I. Joe, fighting a war against the evil Cobra Commander. His soldiers emerged victorious as Cobra Commander's fighter ship crashed into the ocean. He donned scuba gear and descended below the waves to view the wrecked craft and the deceased blue-gray body face down on the ocean floor. Then, he suddenly found himself in a suburban home, in a room with gauzy curtains letting soft sunlight in. Twelve elderly women, dressed in lingerie, are engaged in a ritual dance. As they dance in a circle, twelve hideous ogres with blue-gray skin enter and partner with them, joining in the dance. Leif is not present in this dream. He's only watching as the ogres unsheath samurai swords and prepare to strike off the heads of their partners. The women are willing participants in the death ritual. Just before the fateful moment, Leif peered deeply into the eyes of the lead ogre and recognized the eyes of a well-known astrology teacher. One of the important discoveries we made in the first episode was that Leif has an identical twin brother who he played G.I. Joe's with. They shared an unshakable bond that Leif describes as one person sharing two bodies. Years later, during a moment of profound heartbreak, Leif was alone in the wilderness outside Baker City, Oregon, when he had a spiritual awakening. The memory of unity and love as the essence of everything came flooding back to him. Now let's rejoin the conversation. Do you think in that moment of losing your ego in Baker City, Oregon, that that opened the door? Did it fling open the door for you to have the profound experience of unity and truth that you had? It did. Absolutely. The ego is a thing and a healthy ego is a good thing. Healthy ego is an ego that knows that self and ego are not the same, and that ego is not the pilot, not in the driver's seat. The ego, in many respects, is the only thing that stands between self and self. Our awareness of self as a discrete, limited individual that will face death and destruction, and self as eternal and profound love. Letting go of ego is essential to true, uh, profound spiritual transformation. And if you look at that moment of tremendous loss and personal breakdown, it was in some ways like a death of your ego. It absolutely was. The ego is a tool, is a cost, and it's a gift. And it really comes down to where we identify, how we identify. And if we can only identify ourselves with ego, ego is self, that's where we are lost in a world of separation. Yeah, I agree. We have an ego and 
there's really no point in trying to get rid of our ego. We just need to learn how to uh, be in balance with that ego. And like you said, realize that the ego and the self are separate. And it's not that it's not personal. There is a sense of the imminent, when I speak of this spirit, that the greatest sense of self is both immediate and imminent and visceral and personal. And it's also completely transcendent of all of that. Simultaneously, it is equally whole. And that this divine love is not just transcendent of what we experience as human love. Our experience of human love is deeply reflective of divine love. And one does not exclude the other. The reality is both. That is such an important point. And I have the privilege of not having lived the experience you had in 2007. And so I can look at it and I can see you literally experienced that there in that wilderness because there was both divine love and a, an incredibly gracious story being told to you and a memory, right? A profound soul memory being given back to you. And there was also a man, a desperate man who had lost the most important thing in his life. And both of those things were absolutely true. Yeah, very much so. The imminent and the transcendent. Paradise is in the paradox. Wherever we find what seem to be two incompatible opposites, we are staring into the face of God. Circling back to the dream, I think this is really evident because you're talking about this concept of the ego and how we all have to form a healthy relationship with the ego and we have to mature. There's an imperative to mature to the point that we understand that we have a transcendent self something much deeper and eternal and we use the ego as a tool or a vehicle for what we're experiencing in the here and now that very much puts me in mind of the contrast between you the dreamer as a gi joe of all things and cobra commander as a vehicle of the ego and one of the things thinking about the whole symbolism of cobra and the nature of reptilians and the nature of this battle is that snakes shed. Yes. So you can't get rid of your ego, which Cobra Commander is emblematic of. And I'm not really looking at it as your entire ego anymore, but it was a profound moment in your life. And there was a context of another relationship that was in difficulty at that time. And Cobra Commander is like a big phase of your ego or something that you were ready to shed and grow beyond. That's why you had to kill him. Right. And why you were able to successfully kill him. And one of the things in our philosophy of dream interpretation is you'll never have an action that you take in a symbolic dream that doesn't represent something that you've actually achieved in life. Dreams are never hypotheticals. They're stories about what we are actually living through in that moment. So when you have that kind of a victory in a dream, you've had it in your life. You've actually achieved. Ah, that's fascinating. Uh, that's, that's empowering. We can discover whether the spiritual practices that we're using or the mindset that we're carrying through our days, weeks, and months, whether it's really benefiting us or not. Yeah, I really find the themes about death or an aspect 
of me that dies that I've undergone a big change and that's important for my life. And it's usually for the better. So it gets kind of weird because when you really love to interpret dreams, then you're like, oh, somebody died last night. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That war has always been something that you have been experiencing. There's a direct through line from your gift of having a twin brother. Not even every twin, I think, shares the depth of union that you two feel for each other. So that you've had this tremendous spiritual experience. And then there's this direct through line from that to what happened to you to change your life so dramatically in Baker City, Oregon. And that sense of conflict has played out in your relationship with women. And it's essentially, I want my ego to break down, but I I can't achieve that by destroying it. Right. Exactly. My partner, the woman who I love so deeply and who I share my life with, had been working with a needle chart. And what happened is we look at this chart. I was just dumbfounded because the alignments between planets in her chart and my chart were so ridiculously tight. They were tighter than the alignments that exist between myself and my twin brother in many cases. That sense of twinning of, of finding that perfect union is very present. And I, I just, I'm throwing that into the stew pot. <laughs> it is a hearty stew. <laughs> yes, it's chunky. So it's obvious that we are getting down to the very core of this big dream. Let's go ahead and move our attention to the second dream. And I think that we'll be able to Tie it into a bit of a bow. We need the concept of same night, same theme to really get to where we unlock this dream. I'm fascinated and deeply relieved and so thankful. I'm I'm amazed at where this is going. The two of you bring such a clear, insightful, relaxed gift to this process. I'm just astonished. I'm so thankful. Thank you. Wonderful. It's an honor and a real pleasure. You guys have such easy distance from the dream world. And it's so hard for me to pull the fibers loose. Mm. I know that feeling. I really do. And that Thomas always has to help me with my dreams. He has a lot more insight a lot of times to my dreams because... Because I'm not you. Yeah. And the same for me. Let's talk about that emotional experience in the Crohn's and Ogres that you felt towards the sexuality of these older women. Now, you describe them as elderly, and so the sense that we have is that they're probably not that far from a natural death, maybe within 10 years of when they would have died in their natural life cycle. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, or less. In some cases, I could say it felt like some of the individuals would have been months away. So one of the reasons that we wanted to put the name Crohn's to this dream is because they are symbolic of a dozen different parts of you that all share an overarching unity, which is essentially they're in full possession of their wisdom and they can bring that to bear, which is what I see them as doing in this ritual. So the nature of a crone in an archetypal sense is the idea that feminine wisdom, the wisdom of the earth, which is obviously immeasurably profound, rests in them. 
just like grandmothers in many cultures around the world have that kind of archetypal significance, they carry the traditions, right? They carry the collective knowledge and they know when to plant, but their life is nearing its end. They can't do the harvesting anymore. Exactly. I'll point this out too. In the practice of ayahuasca, of which I will say I have dabbled in a number of years ago, ayahuasca is also known as grandmother. And ayahuasca is very consciously a death practice, death to the ego. So there is a, a relationship there. Fascinating. I want to call back that idea that snakes shed their skin, right? Ego, yeah. Yeah. As you just explained in, in rituals with Aya is a, a consciously pursued goal and a power that this grandmother plant can uh, give to people, a gift, but it's not a true ego death. When the ceremony's over, they're still alive. <laughs> well, very much. Yeah. <laughs> if it's done safely and properly. Yeah. So the ego didn't die, right? But it shed something. Right. I think the fact that there were 12 of them, I'd love to hear how you think that connects to the 12 houses in astrology. Or the 12 signs. Let's just start with the 12 signs. We have a matrix that we exist in of 12 fundamental archetypal identities or archetypal energies. And we'll find the number 12 replete symbolically throughout the human experience with embedded in this human mind or human consciousness, human experience. And of course, what you were speaking about in terms of air correlating with mind, water correlating with emotions, this is part of the building block of astrological symbolism. Mm -hmm. And I'll say too that themes of death, themes of transformation, the little death, the ego death, and I should say sexuality connected with the archetype of Scorpio or the eighth house. Mm -hmm. And why is that important? I myself was born with Scorpio on the ascendant. So I have a strong Scorpionic increase. Um, and I believe as I, as I go backwards in my memory, I'm almost certain that this dream occurred while the sun was in Scorpio in the middle of October, for example. Um, we're coming up to that same time of year now. Interesting. Um, and there's a season. The signs hold space for the seasons. So Scorpio is really energetically holding space for the energy that is felt in the depths of autumn. So that Scorpionic archetypal energy would have been much more heightened in my own field at that time. Okay. And of course, when we're talking about levels of death and the snake shedding its skin in particular, layers of ego death, correlating literally with layers of growth and layers of transcendence, we're also talking about the relationship between the physical body and the ego that resides around the physical body, the relationship to spirit and our transcendent self. Say a little bit more about that. We inherently have to experience ego death in order to transcend the ego awareness, the sense that I am my ego. So we have to move beyond the ego before we can experience the higher self, the transcendent self. And so you're saying that similarly, we have to physically die before we can experience a profound kind of breaking open 
to another deeper truth about who we are on an eternal. Absolutely. And of course, all of us will sooner or later experience that physical death. And in doing so, we will experience a profound return to source, or at the very least, a beautiful homecoming to a higher understanding, a higher experience, a more transcendent experience of self. We'll all get to that point. We'll all have that experience. There, a lot of spiritual practice is how to die without dying, how to die to the ego temporarily in order to experience the true self, the transcendent self. Doing so, we are able to bring back in a tremendous amount of awareness, knowledge, and in particular, love into this field of material existence. What we see as happening with these two dreams is that there are two different paradigms on that time in your life. One wisdom message for you in two different guises. And what they're trying to show you is that the G.I. Joe dream is more akin to being in the moment and living through the changes that you are undergoing, whereas the Crohn's and Ogre's dream is a slightly elevated perspective on the whole situation. We have a big clue that it's an elevated perspective from the fact that the dreamer is only watching. That kind of spiritual objectivity seems to run through a lot of dreams where we're getting a higher perspective on our lives. But the dreamer, even though the dreamer wasn't present in Crohn's and Ogres, was very upset. The dreamer was experiencing a lot of negative emotions. You were experiencing a very painful, uncertain time in a relationship. These two paradigms together constitute an attempt to try to get you to realize the depth to which you were personally growing through this turmoil. The growth that we've been talking about throughout this episode is strongly dharmic in nature, is how I would describe it. Whenever we've had our own big dreams in years past, they are pretty much always about a lifelong issue. They're about a core issue, something that we come here to this earth to, to learn about, to grow with. And we've clearly identified what that particular issue is for you as it relates to this dream. The whole idea of knowing that unity is possible, but that having a human experience of unity with another human being of any kind is very challenging, typically. It was different between you and your twin brother, but that is unique and incredibly special and such a gift. And so this dream is about this war. And it's not just the war of the time that you were going through with your partner, although that is one level of meaning because message dreams carry meaning on multiple levels at the same time. It's also the ongoing war, the never-ending saga of your profound desire for unity based on knowing that it is the more real state of your own existence versus how do I be in separateness in a way that's graceful? And how do I be separate to the advantage of myself and the highest good of everybody around me? Is that resonating? Absolutely. And yeah, I words escape me for, for the moment. Absolutely. I'm just going to reflect on that in my own way. I think my conscious lifelong struggle has been a sense of 
the conflict between self and other. With the awakening in, in 2007, I awakened into that reality as a reflection of or a subset of the ultimate reality, which is the relationship between unified consciousness and our experience in duality and that they're happening simultaneously. The larger field of consciousness does not exclude duality. It's a subset. It's a part, a piece, and a very valuable piece of unified reality. And if I reflect that back into ogres and crones, the 12, which is going to reflect the unified field of 12 astrological archetypes, for example, which together reflect the state of unity. Within that unified space of 12, we had duality, the pairing of opposites of masculine and feminine, of crone and ogre. So we had the dance, and we could speak of the dance of Shiva. We had this dance of duality within the field of unity. That is, um, that's it. <laughs> that is. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And I, I spoke of, of Shiva and the dance of Shiva is in sense, it's five pieces. A lot of people just think of the three, which is creation, maintenance, and destruction. But there are two additional elements, and that is illusion and liberation from the illusion. So if we bring in all five elements, we're really seeing a reflection or reset archetypal cosmic dance between self and other between unity and duality yes and so in the gi joe paradigm what you have is basically that struggle between self and other when you get exactly yeah when you get to the crones and ogres paradigm which again is somewhat elevated that paradigm is showing you that it's not self and other in a battle it is my small self and my unified field that are struggling against one another. And even in the midst of this struggle, you were aware of the fact that they were actually one. Right. And that it was indeed a dance. Right. From illusion to liberation. It was riff. Yeah. And it's certainly reflecting my own struggle to balance that sense of my separate self with the unified self. And I think that's where we got that sense of repulsion. That sense of repulsion reflected the conflict. And I'm wondering about looking into JP's eyes in the lead ogre. What do you think about that now? Well, I had contacted JP to help resolve the conflict. And this is specifically harder. That was manifesting as conflict between me and my partner, but which had reached a, a pretty desperate fever pitch, but that was reflecting the the conflict within myself, which had also reached the fever pitch. So deep inside your soul, by the time you have this dream, you know that love is all there is. But when your perspective, or maybe I should say your willpower is taken out of the situation and you're just watching this ritual unfold between these elderly crones 
and these ogres that enter their ritual space and pair with them, you mm-hmm. feel really disgusted and also ultimately frightened, right? Very. Both. Absolutely. So why do you think knowing that love is all there is, you would have had the perspective looking at this situation of disgust? I, at this time in my life, was in a great deal of, of inner conflict, inner turmoil, and a lot of conflict in my relationship with my partner. And I was being, throughout the day, most of every day, being pulled out of center, being pulled out of the deeper awareness and being pulled into the mundane conflicts that are just the way egos deal with one another. I was very much locked in an ego space. I was very much locked in ego conflict with my partner and locked in my own inner conflict. And I was stewing in this for days and months and some respects for a couple of years. And so on the one hand, here I was reaching outside myself. I was asking for help, which is absolutely fine. And I was asking for help from an individual who's well-versed in astrology. That said, in my own way, I I have a broader experience of astrology than than JP through my mentor and Franco Santoro. And in, in some respects, I was kind of dishonoring my own knowledge and experience mm. I, and, and i'm okay I'm, I'm quite happy that i was at a point where i was asking for help acknowledging that we needed help that in doing so i was simultaneously disrespecting my own and this is interesting you know i've always said about myself that i have a terribly difficult time looking at my own astrological field from an elevated objective position, fundamentally disempowering myself. And that's one of the the beautiful aspects of this tool is that it provides a very objective lens on self and reality. You can escape the subjectivity. But I'm realizing that this dance, this very conscious, careful, choreographed ritual may indeed reflect, I'm sure it reflects a number of issues. Um, it's going to be a, a multivalent symbol. Gosh. So far, even after all this careful consideration of your dream, I'm not sure about the eyes of JP yet. I have the feeling that we may have a sudden insight into it, but I'm just not sure. At, when you were asleep and your awareness was fully open, in that state, you were very aware that if you did meet with him, that it would really have a profound effect on this situation. Yeah, it would bring everything to a head. You would have to make a choice. Ah, yes, that's very true. That he would bring clarity, an objective clarity that I would have to face. And with that kind of clarity comes choice. You now have a clear choice. And I was terrified of making a choice one way or the other. Right. This is true. Yeah, so there- Without any doubt. Yeah, I'm, I think that we've definitely- sorted that out. He was one of the decapitators. That's who had the eye. Mm. And that is a clear, decisive choice to end something decisively. 
Ah, yeah, precisely. And that is very decisive. That's very clear. That's very sharp. That's a samurai sword. Right. And it's a samurai sword. So weapons of all kinds from the heavy guns from your G.I. Joe dream to swords, we look at as uh, tools of change. We dream about them when we are creating change in our lives. And you knew that you were moments away from making this change. But again, I would look at more globally as we're kind of bringing this all together because you successfully did away with the Cobra Commander and these ogres, as horrible as they are, were going to fulfill their role and decapitate all of these women who were willing participants. They were ready to change, right? You needed in making these spiritual changes. And we can absolutely link this to day-to-day reality from back then, but I think we've seen pretty clearly this is not a day-to-day dream, right? The, the connections and meanings inherent in this dream, the most important ones at least, are about the fact that you were experiencing pretty significant spiritual growth. And we see that evidenced in the death in the first dream of this evil leader with the snake symbolism. And in the second dream with the willing death of all of these women at the hands of these ogres. So I would ask you, after a, a really meandering, fascinating, and really profound conversation, what do you think changed? at that time i was more willing to accept conflict i i grew up in a very conflict averse family and the presence of conflict was inherently a no-go zone my partner is italian and we think of mediterranean culture as being more hot-blooded and more capable of voicing differences and this is something that i was beginning to come into a greater familiarity with and greater acceptance of. And when I speak, that's a very myopic sense of conflict, but let's expand that out again to that global or universal sense we were speaking of. The inherent conflict between separation or duality relative to unified being, unified consciousness, and the conflict that I was experiencing between these two different states of being and becoming more comfortable with that conflict, being able to hold this tension in a more accepting and dynamic way. That frightens. My partner was teaching me the value of loving conflict, that the conflict doesn't mean that there's a lack of love. Mm. The conflict is a process of integration. That is beautifully said. And I think that might be right at the heart of the meaning of these dreams. Because when you were young, you had a very special experience. And through your love for your twin brother, you realized that there can be a lived and real state of essentially egolessness. But as you just said, anger, conflict, working through things when you really love somebody can be a process of integration it can bring you closer together. What you learned in early childhood was that conflict only tears people apart. Right, exactly. And this is something that my partner and I, this morning, were having a really deep, soulful exchange, a conversation about the conflicts that we've experienced. And we were both really able to to hold that and be aware of it and thankful of it, grateful for the the territory that we have crossed, both of us together. Other side of each moment of conflict is a territory of 
higher beauty and higher togetherness and higher understanding. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for a moment. I'm gonna take a deep breath and turn it over to you, back over to you, Rekha, and to Thomas. As I, I'm just gonna breathe this, okay, and and integrate what's come out of my mouth. Try and, and pull that back into my heart. Well, I just want to say for us personally, every major conflict that we've had has actually brought us closer together. It's a really good point. Yeah, you're helping us learn something and put something in perspective. It's so true. Our relationship would not be strong and healthy if it weren't for some really scary times. That's true. Yeah, I'm beginning to deeply appreciate that. Thank you so much for helping to pull this into perspective. And I cannot tell you enough just how conflict-averse my family environment was growing up. And just as an example, I think a lot of individuals as they're growing up moving out of adolescence and into their teenage years, come into great conflict with their parents. As suddenly there's a strongly competing sense of interests and identity. This didn't happen in my family. Didn't happen. <laughs> my twin brother and I had no interest whatsoever in rocking the boat. It's a great example. Yeah, because that's really defying the natural developmental progression. I'm a school teacher. Yeah. I have a lot of experience <laughs> with that and that is really going against the grain. Ironically, not conf yeah is going against the grain during that stage. Very much so. And that just exemplifies how much that sense of conflict will not be present in this family was part of the dynamic field that we were growing up in. So in the higher state of consciousness, the Crohn's and Ogre's dream, you did point out one minor symbol that I think may actually be a very revealing one to kind of wrap up this dream interpretation, which is the idea that the windows had drapery on them. Right. Gauzy, white drapery, like a veil it was filtering the light that was coming through. So we're going to use that veil symbolism, but we're going to combine about three other universal symbol meanings into that. And I think it's really going to Shed some light, pun intended, on this. <laughs> so windows are essentially awareness that we have, the ability to have awareness of an issue. Sunlight, the sun itself, symbolizes what we call Christed consciousness. That unity consciousness deep within every living thing that you've been describing this whole time, that was a part of your childhood, that was a part of your spiritual awakening, that you sought with your partnerships with women, sunlight represents that. And so it was obscured by a veil. And you've said several times during this recording that you have a very thin veil and that you do the dance of life with this additional gift and challenge, right? That's the dance is both polarities. Uh, mm -hmm. Having this ability to kind of dance your way right through that veil, almost at will, but you know there is a veil. And so you know all for what's on the other side of that veil. My last journey with ayahuasca was expressly, I meditated for a month on this question of the nature of the veil and how does one cross the veil. Mm. And so this is a very large element in my life since 2007 in particular. And the dance I was, I was given... I was given a tour, actually, of the veil, of its nature. And I, I won't go too deep into that. 
But I will say this, that I was offered in that journey a set of tools, the thunder drum and the songs of gratitude. Sing the songs of gratitude. Those will open the gate and lift the veil and play the thunder drum. That will be your rocket ship back to the stars mm. or higher state of consciousness. Well, you're, uh, you're leaving the listeners of this podcast with a real gift there. Will you just repeat that? Sing the songs of gratitude. These will open the gate or lift the veil. Play the thunder drum. This will be your rocket ship back to the heavens, back to that higher state of consciousness. And the songs of gratitude, there was a strong sense, whether that's alone or together, but the, the power is amplified collectively. Within the ayahuasca tradition, they are called the Icaros, these songs of power and gratitude that are sung throughout a ceremony. In the tradition that I have worked in as a whirling dervish within Sufism, called zikr that's basically sung mantra or within the hindu tradition you have mantras yeah and kirtan so kirtan is in a sense singing the mantra but also all of these songs are songs of thanks and songs of gratitude so singing creates the vibration the songs of gratitude are a deep vibration within the heart and it's helping to create coherence within the heart that's helping to unify and focus the field through love and you can feel that love especially if you're doing these songs in in a collective space and start feeling the connection and the gratitude and the presence of everybody and you can just feel these open hearts beating together and the thunder drum is another tool this is the shamanic drum or so many different drumming traditions that that shamanic drum beat again creates a particular harmonic feel. In the tradition of ayahuasca, very powerful shaman don't drink the tea; they just sing the songs, and perhaps they sing the songs, play the drum. There's no need whatsoever to ingest a substance. Interesting. Yeah, to go on on very deep and powerful journeys. And I should say that I have resisted that. I think there was a certain reluctance and fear of leaving the physical world, the, the duality, um, leaving my separate self, <laughs> certain resistance to leaving this world behind, knowing full well the power of these tools that, that have been offered. It's very reflective of the, the, the conflict that I've been experiencing. And that makes sense because I think part of your dharmic journey, given everything we've learned from your dream is that you want to have that experience with other human beings. Exactly. I don't want it to separate. That sense of separation can be so profound. I've experienced it so sharply. And I, I don't want it to alienate or separate me. I would love to go into this space with the other. So that, you know, that second dream, Crohn's and Ogres, is all about the other, as you've expressed. And yet, as we wrap up, to return to that more of the veiled windows, it's showing you that this unity consciousness or however you'd prefer to describe it is pouring in the veil obscures it but even in that situation that is full of negativity and surrender and profound wisdom and ugliness and hatred well that sunlight is it's exactly that it's pouring in right. it is warming illuminating that sunlight is on every figure in that room that's right and you know that and that's the thing these are your spiritual 
gifts. These are your insights. And you must have gone through some really meaningful changes during that time. <laughs> Maybe you go through meaningful changes every week. <laughs> I can thank Francesca. She is such a profound and powerful being, such an amazing, wonderful, and beautiful person. And yeah, she has brought a tremendous amount of conflict into my life. <laughs> and I'm reaching a point where I am finally capable of accepting and thinking that conflict is clearly pushing me through boundaries, helping me to shed layers of uh, ego. Beautiful. That you're happy to be rid of, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's end with a bang if we can. I'd like to take one more stab at understanding why you saw JP, the astrologer's eyes in the lead over, because I think we may have enough information to sort that out now. Okay. There's a special kind of aspect that we use in our dream interpretation called a superconscious aspect. And if you're curious to know more about that, you can learn more about that from our video about what people mean in dreams. And essentially, it's an interesting phenomenon because everybody has dreams that include their parents, and that's a classic superconscious aspect. It doesn't matter as much the gender. When it comes to somebody like JP, showing up in a dream, this is going to be a super conscious aspect. And what is happening with that aspect is they're giving us a message about the way that we relate to divinity. They are not a divinity. They're not a God. It's not a visitation or a moment of grace from the divine. Those are other kinds of nighttime experiences. They're there to help you get a message about the way that you're relating to divinity. And Gotcha. That was kind of where I started to get a feeling we might be able to figure out this eyes and this moment of awakening image and why that was so important. Because I'm sure now that even though he wasn't there, just his eyes were there, he was the ogre. You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. is a super conscious aspect of you. And so what it's trying to give you a message about as this dream finishes, right? As you're understanding sort of reaches a pinnacle because that's how narratives and dreams work. As our understanding grows, time in a dream seems to go by. That last bit of understanding and epiphany was about your relationship to the divine. And specifically, he's male, so his gender matches yours. What this means is that it's going to be an insight into your relationship with the masculine divine. Now, I'd love to hear a little bit of input from you on what you think when you hear the term masculine divine, but the way that we usually work with that concept is the masculine divine is like the law-giving side of the universe. It's the side of the universe that orders and structures things. It's not necessarily the side of the universe that actually weaves material reality together. It's kind of the one that gives the rule set for how manifestation is going to take place. How do you think about the masculine divine? Well, if I think about the inherent duality between the relationship between masculine and feminine, the yin, the yang, the masculine is inherently that part that initiates, and the feminine is that part that receives. So in that sense, yes, that I will initiate the process of creation. I will provide the law or the rules or the guidelines, the framework. And then the feminine receives the instruction and we use into creation. There's also a sense of the feminine is more associated with the darkness. 
with the space within the womb, for example, and I'm not suggesting that the womb is inherently dark, but as we go into the lower world, into the darkness or into the cave, we're going into a more feminine space. And as we ascend into the light, we're going into a more masculine space. And that you know, we, we have to be able to, to balance and unify those two fields. The, the light isn't good and darkness isn't bad. Male isn't good and feminine isn't bad. You have sort of taking the pejoratives away from, from these concepts, these archetypes. Yeah, but the, the masculine inherently does initiate. Initiate. It takes the lead. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the reason it's important to understand this has nothing to do with God, capital G, is because you were looking for a certain kind of authority from JP at that time in your life. And right. he's not the only astrologer or spiritual teacher that you've come seeking that from. Right. That resonates, right? It does. Okay. Absolutely. So you said something earlier that I think is uh, going to help us understand why that moment of seeing the eyes recognition caused you to awake and be very frightened. You said that okay. you felt that you needed outer support, but that you knew perhaps on a deeper level that you had everything you needed and you were spiritually mature enough to give yourself that kind of support. Exactly. That not only did I have the, the skill and the accumulated uh, knowledge within this particular field, more importantly, I had an experience and an awareness of a larger field of reality to take this subset of learning and place it in context and that this was within me. And that by going to an outside authority, I was denying my own authority. Right. That's exactly what I'm yeah. thinking we're getting to here. And if we can really take this apart, and we may be able to achieve this, I really feel that we may be building towards fully understanding this. I think that moment of recognition with the eyes of the ogre brings together the meaning of this entire pair of dreams, everything. And one of the clues that I have about that as a dream interpreter is that there is this very profound uh, emotional sense of epiphany. It was a moment of recognition and awakening. Agreed? Yes, absolutely. I came stark upright. I was suddenly wide awake. And this was the crux, the apex of the entire dream sequence. Eyes, awareness. There was this profound, immediate awareness. Yes. These various levels of meaning that we've discussed during our conversation are all unified in the eyes of JP in that instant. And that was your moan of Satori. That was your epiphany. The ogre is this energy of separation and, and hatred and these bad things, but you know it's actually you. And you get to a point of being able to accept that truth, as difficult as that is. And I know there was still so much lingering fear, but the fact that the dreamer wasn't there indicates you did have an elevated perception of this whole situation. There's a lot of reasons to think that you had gained a deep spiritual understanding of something in spite of the, the emotional detritus and the, the kind of upset that you were feeling. Then in the moment of realizing that you are the ogre and knowing with greater awareness that you're everything in that situation, you're also the Crohn's, but knowing I can embrace this violent and 
pro- problematic part of myself, these impulses, the hatred, the disgust, the bad things, so to speak, they're a part of me in the larger sense of my heart. I also know that I am my own authority and that I am the divine, essentially. Like you're looking at this mentor and realizing I am this man's equal. Yeah. And what's amazing is that years later, just a few months ago now, I finally did have a, a session, a conversation with JP. And it was very interesting. We basically, one, found ourselves discussing my relationship with my twin brother, which was unexpected. But we spent a lot of time discussing that. And two, we basically didn't even discuss astrology. And he was more than happy to effectively reinforce the fact that I was, how to say this, by patting myself on the back without stroking my own ego, that I was in a, in a state with my relationship to astrology that was a more, from his own perspective, a more meaningful and holistic and healthy approach to astrology relative to most astrologers. And we frankly didn't really discuss any astrological details or aspects. He was basically just giving me a pat on the back and saying, I I like what you're saying. I like what you're doing. Go for it. And I I remember getting off the phone with him thinking, damn, I I (laughs) just paid $300 for a a pat on the back. (laughs) He got you. No, just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Given this dream, there's probably not much more that he would have been able to do because you have that student has become the teacher situation on your shoulders. Deep breath. Yes, I can accept that. But that is a tremendous step to take. And that that is, in some respects, a, a frightening step to take. And there is something that I have to let go of and something that I, I need to more fully step into. I think even though this is years ago, I think this big dream, their significances ripple through our lives for years. It has been trying to get you to awaken to that, not from an ego place at all. And we need to bring in one more element of the philosophy of dreaming here, because we also believe really strongly after all these years of dream interpretation, that dreams never speak anything but the truth ever. I like that. I love the soundness of that reality. Thank you. You're welcome. The way I look at that image now is like, you realize that the hatred or the deep ugliness is you, God is you, and you are your own authority. End of dream. Say it one more time. (laughs) The hatred, all the separation, all of the ego is you. God or divinity is you, and you're your own authority. You realized all of that in one dream instant. My, I'm I'm so amazed. I'm so happy that 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 this dream's time finally came, that my willingness to approach this dream has 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 opened, and that the two of you were were so skillfully and passionately together able to to guide me and guide all of us into that space. Well, you're very welcome, and it was a real pleasure, and your dream was very difficult for us. This was a real. It was a good, it felt like summoning a mountain to really get some <laughs> insight into your dream. 
took us to the limits of our abilities and our experience. It was interesting when you asked me to actually answer some questions and provide some further detail. Your questions were so pointed and so insightful. I was just immediately becoming more aware of the magnitude and the spaciousness of this experience. I'm really glad. And it really is our joy to be able to share this gift of dreams as vessels for other people because it's changed our lives. And just like you explained, it's just a kind of a pointer towards deeper truths about who we really are eternally. So it's pretty special. And I want you to know on that same level, please feel free to email us with more questions about this. Because what I've found in the past, especially with a big dream, is when I finally get real close to unlocking it, the key's been turned, but you'll have to be the one to pop it open. And when you get to that point, these coming days, you may have more epiphanies about this dream and be like, oh, you know, that was why the tattoos or other symbols that we didn't actually bring into the interpretation. And when you have that, that's pointing you towards the things that are important for you to focus on. Like you said, that sense of things that are magnified. You may find that things are magnified in this dream that you hadn't really paid as much attention to before. And we would be happy to yeah, very much going back and forth just by email, having nothing to do with producing the podcast, but just wanting to support you as a fellow human being. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. That's tremendous. There's no other way that I can say that beyond saying that the two of you together carry this marvelous gift. It's amazing. You can find this podcast on all popular streaming services. Email us a dream today at contact at dreamspeak.us. Check out our YouTube channel for a free introductory dream course. Connect with DreamSpeak for even more learning. Our socials are in the description. Our theme music was composed by me, Ricka. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. If you have concerns about your well-being, talk to your doctor or a mental health professional.